each platform, you have to kind of take the time to figure out what that audience likes and what works. And so I think for me, building a genuine following has kind of come from just winging it and not caring if I get followers or not caring if it does anything. I just try and hope for the best, just genuinely being authentic and showing up in all facets of that. You know, if, if you're this big person on any social media platform, but you don't give people the time of day when it comes down to it in real life, then that doesn't mean anything, you know? Hi guys, welcome to the Beauty Inspires Beauty podcast. I'm so excited. I have Zoe Rose here with me today of Iron and Rose Salon. We are kind of neighbors in the hood. We both are in San Diego and uh, her and I met at Anthony Edge um, Open Chair Night. And we actually got, I don't know if we actually shared the stage, but we did, we spent some time together. I think you went after me, but. At some point. Yeah. I think I was after you. Yes. But you know, there's some people in life that you meet that you're like, whoa, like when you have a presence, which you do, um, you're memorable and uh, along with your look, but like, it's not just your look, your look kind of fits like the personality that's behind those cute little glasses. And like when this girl gets on stage, she just like commands the presence and she does amazing work. So I'm super honored to have you on the podcast today. And this is why I started the podcast was so I could meet awesome people like you. So that's like my selfish reason for starting a podcast. <laughs> I, really, I love that. Yeah. I didn't really have an excuse before to just like randomly be like, Hey, you want to be friends? Yeah, exactly. Now you have a reason. I love that. Yeah. So, um, tell us a little bit about like yourself and what you do. And then, I mean, we have a shit ton we could talk about because there's a lot of fucking shit going on in our world. We are, like I said, both in San Diego. Um, so yeah. So let's, let's talk about some good shit first. Let's talk about yeah. who you are, what you do and uh, all that good stuff first. So people can get to know well, you. Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And those, oh my gosh, that's like such such a compliment. Um, I, I still, it's funny. I still see myself as like beauty school Zoe and I'm just like farting around doing hair. And like, whenever I get to be a part of cool events, like, you know, the open chair night at edge and like anything that I do in the industry, I'm always just like, who invited me? Like why I, I should be the assistant, you know, I it's so thank you. I appreciate you saying that it's kind of like a imposter syndrome kind of thing, I guess. But, um, I'm Zoe. I've been doing hair about, geez, I think like eight or nine years now. Um, I've been in San Diego pretty much the whole entire time. My salon is in Carlsbad. So I live down in San Diego, but my studio is in Carlsbad. Um, I'm an educator. I do, I teach at Bellis Academy normally when we're not closed um, in the evenings and I work in the studio during the day. And then I also do independent education. Um, I'm dual licensed. I'm also a licensed barber. So I'm also a makeup artist. I, I do a little bit of everything. Um, like I said before, you know, I'm, I can't really sit still very well and I like to kind of have my hands and everything. So I just kind of do a little bit of everything. I love that. I love that. I, I, I came up in the industry and I had a mentor who was like super hair focused and like all he talked about was hair, hair, hair all day long. And I remember at one point being like, maybe I'm not a very good hairdresser because like, I, I like to do other things too. I was like, I like to paint and I like to do makeup and I like to work out. And he was always just like, so like, I just thought like that made me not a great hairdresser because I had other interests. So it's cool to hear that right. you like do other things and you're a teacher. Like, so you sleep for what, like two hours a night? I mean, Jesus, if you're in the studio all day yeah. and you're teaching us. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, this whole, this shutdown has been tough. I, um, I love being busy. I'm a Virgo and I like to have purpose. And I think, I think in all of this quarantine and everything, a lot of what we hear is like, people tie too much to their profession and people feel too attached to their jobs. And that's why people are having such a hard time with this. Mm -hmm. And I kind of disagree with that to a certain extent, because I think there's something to be said when you love what you do so much that like a piece of you feels like it's missing when you can't do it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, that's a very touchy thing because a lot of people think it's important to have balance and I think balance is just different for everyone. So for me, I don't like having downtime and I don't get burnt out. I don't get tired. I, I find myself more grumpy and more burnt out and irritated during this time than I have in, you know, almost 10 years of working multiple jobs, 14 hour days. I, it's so much fun for me to do that. So I like to just always have things going on and if I can't be doing hair, but somebody needs a makeup artist, I'd rather be there as a makeup artist than not get to have the opportunity at all. So I think for me, being kind of well-rounded and being able to kind of be a, you know, Jane of all trades is, it's cool. I love that. That, that, I'll never forget like the umpteen time that I was doing a photo shoot, doing the hair for a photo shoot. And it was like, how many times I had to hire a makeup artist to come do the makeup for me because I didn't do makeup. Now I've worn makeup, you know what I mean? It was just like, there was that person that told me, I, I've never done it. I can't start. I'm never going to be as good as she is. But you know what? I was like, I hired the girl who was coming all the time. I said, well, teach me everything, you know. And then I started stepping in and being able to do the makeup. And I'm a lot like you, like I'm constantly loving to be busy. It just, it does. It gives you a purpose. And I think coming off of what you just said, that's so interesting because I can see both sides. I can see both sides of you having passion and purpose behind being so busy and with school, with teaching, with all the things. I think what I saw a lot of when the shutdown first happened was like people couldn't get past the sadness of that being like taken away from them in order to say, what else am I good at next that I could offer too? Not even like what's next, this is going away, but like someone just took something away from you. What can you do about it? Like I'm such a, that's where like my masculine side comes in. Like the, like, Focus on what you can control. Girls don't cry. Like, just fucking make it happen. Yeah. So that's where, like, the podcast just came from and where I, like, dove in and explored the coaching business. Like, I still love being behind the chair, but I personally was at, like, a different point in my career. I've been 20 years in. Like, I don't have the luxury of working. I have a kid now. Like, I have to go home sometimes. So, right? So it's, like, it's – I wanted to, like – I'm so glad you said that because, yes, balance is so different for so many people, and I feel like people – feel judged like during this first shutdown like I said a lot of things about taking action about stepping into your purpose like what else like and that really like pissed a lot of people off because they were like can I just be sad can I just take this downtime to like I've never taken a break like I don't want to do anything else like and that was I had to step back and realize like yeah shit like not everybody operates or is in the same place right and I think you know I I see that. And I also see that that's where a lot, that's where that need for balance and that, like those people who like strive for the weekend and the people who are like, Oh, I just worked a 10 hour day and they don't have that. 
um, that thought process of the, okay, this sucks and it happened, but I can't change that. So what can I do in place of it? Or what can I do next to alleviate from me being bummed about that? Like give yourself the time to be sad and be bummed about it. But like, okay, let's go back to the first shutdown. It was going to be two weeks. Let's say you're just going to sit around and be sad for two weeks. Like, I don't get that. I can't, I can't wallow for that long and I can be upset and be frustrated about things, but then it kind of pushes me to do other things because I'm so mad and I'm so frustrated. I can't sit in it anymore. Same. So for me, I think, I think it, you know, where I could probably use a little bit of that, it's okay to rest and you need to just chill out for a little bit. Those other people could also use a little bit of a kick in the pants because then it turns into four months of what you know and then you get that what am I doing should I look for another career because this is going on longer than I thought and I haven't you know everybody's circumstance is so different but I think there's a positive to both sides of it and I think a lot of people just don't self-reflect and see what it is for them that they love about it or what it is like for some people you know I feel like there's a lot of hairdressers out there that really just do it because it's really good money mm-hmm. and they might not even care about the industry mm. and they might not, which is crazy to me because every hairdresser I know is so passionate about hair and about the industry and the connection between clients. But I forget a lot that there's so many people who just, it's, it's just their job. Yeah. And so for me, I can't fathom somebody being like, well, guess I got to find another career now because I will do whatever I can to keep my salon doors open so I can continue doing what I love to do. So I think it's interesting to see both sides of it. And, you know, like you said, talking about pushing and getting through this, it pissed people off. And to me, that makes me wonder like, why, like, why are you mad that somebody's pushing you to be better? You don't want to be better. You don't want a reason to like grow because you're comfortable. And now you have to get outside your comfort zone. Like what, what is that? You know, what's that anger directed at? It's so interesting to me. Well, that's the definition. And if you're listening to this podcast and any of this is like triggering or frustrating, or you don't like what we're saying, like, this podcast isn't for everybody. I'm not on here to have a podcast that appeases everybody. I say shit that's going to piss people off. I talk about things that are my point of view. That's why I bring guests on. It's not just me rambling about stuff because we're all at a different place and we're not saying that anything's right or wrong, but like, you know, stepping back five months after being closed, like you see the residual effects that it's had on people. And I hear people time and time again, I wish I would have. I wish I would have started this. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have had something else going on that I could have focused on. Like so many things. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt. And then also like, if this is, this isn't you, like, you know, find yourself in our stories because you probably know somebody like this that you could help or that you could reach out to, or there's going to be something in here that you're going to have a takeaway, like an aha moment, you know? Um, so tell us what you've done because you've done a lot during this time. I've been watching you, you're showing up big on social media you're making sure people know what you're doing for, for our industry. Like you've gone to the protests, you're making signs, you're making posts, you're, you're saying the things that need to be said. And you even one step further and did something fun. And you created these awesome little bumper stickers that you guys can grab on her website. You made yeah. shirts that support your business in your salon and you've given away a ton of free education. So 
like that's a lot of shit. So you've kept yourself busy, but um, like, where does that come from? I get that you like don't like to be bored, but like that comes from a place of like wanting, like your brand is bigger than just like you, like you've created something that's like a little bit bigger than yourself. And so it like forces you to show up. Yeah. Um, I, you know, at the beginning of all this, I was more shocked than anything. And it just feel, I, I keep saying this. I feel like I'm in a simulation or like I'm an extra in a movie and everything's happening around me. And like, I'm sure everybody's seen or heard that thing where it's like, be the main character in your own movie, you know? And I think that's so true. I don't like to watch things happen around me. And, you know, when all of this was going on and we were told with the second shutdown, even, you know, we were told it was going to be three weeks and we didn't hear anything. And the second shutdown was completely unwarranted. And so I was talking with a friend and I was like, look, I don't know if this is insensitive given light of everything that's going on in the world. Like obviously us not being able to work is a very small thing in the grand scheme of everything that's going on. And I wouldn't want to offend anybody, but I offend people every day anyways. So why the fuck not start a protest? Because that's how people get heard. And that's what makes people wake up to realize that it's important. And I, when I originally had like started the protest in San Diego a few weeks ago, I guess, I don't I have no concept of time anymore, whenever it was, um, I really thought that it would be like my few friends that showed up to humor me and I didn't really expect anything crazy from it. And it totally blew up. And then I got people from other cities and other counties contacting me to help them set up protests and, you know, if I could go to them and do this and that. And so I think it kind of like with everything, you know, that I don't know where it comes from. I don't know. It just is like, I just, I've always, as I love the hair industry and I love what it is for people because like, I feel like it's a very newbie thing to say, like, I love hair because like nobody loves hair. That's not what we love about it. You know what I mean? And anybody who's been doing this, I think for more than two or three years, you never hear them say that. Like nobody loves hair. We love the relationships. We love, um, helping people. We love being around people. We love teaching people. And you know, that's what we love about it. And so for me, I see an industry that is so well respected by the people who utilize it and it's so disrespected and underrated by literally everybody else in the world and that pisses me off because I've never met a successful hairdresser that wasn't extremely intelligent and empathetic and passionate about what they do and it makes me so mad that we're not taken seriously time and time again and the only time people give a shit is when they want their hair done. Yeah. And so for me, seeing so many people, you know, during the first shutdown, seeing all these people affected, everybody's salons are closed. Most people, you know, not to like shit on hairdressers, but a lot of hairdressers are just creatives and they don't know business and they don't know, like, 
I know so many hairdressers who don't track their numbers. They don't have monetary goals. They don't even know what they make in a day. Like if you ask them what their hourly rate would be, they couldn't tell you. If you ask them what their average ticket is, they might not know. They don't know what their retail percentage is. And so there are so many people that were seriously screwed because they didn't have a savings or they didn't prepare for something like this to go wrong and come up with, you know, have the ability to think about, okay, what am I going to do now? So for me, being a voice, because I'm very business minded and I, you know, I like to control all of that. And so for me, seeing other people not have that background and that ability, I don't want to see anybody fail. Like I, I would never want something like this to be the reason that people stop doing what they love. And I think that's where it comes from. It's like kind of like a mama bear in me that I just want to protect the industry. And so many people that have been doing hair way longer than me, always, I always get this. It's like, oh, well, you're young. Oh, you're, you're still new. Like, that's cute. I remember when I cared or I remember blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm young, but I also got into this industry. I got into the industry when I was 17, like legally, like I started beauty school when I was 17 and I never once have woken up and been like, I don't want to go to work today. I never like I worked at a shitty salon for a long time too. Like it was a great salon, but the owner and the management was terrible and it was extremely toxic. And even then I was like, all right, like you're just going to hang out with your clients and you're going to do hair and you're going to do what you love. And that's what matters. And even through being in like a prison sentence of a job, I knew that what I was still doing what I loved. So regardless of the toxic environment, I was still able to do what I loved. And so I don't want this to be a reason that people can't continue to do what they love because there ha- there's a solution. Like there's always a solution, you know? There is always a solution. You just have to want to figure it out. And I think for a lot of people, like you said, they were they were like shocked that all of us, we were literally closed within like a week. Like we, there was like, we're, like maybe we're going to close. Maybe we're not for like a week or two, but nobody thought that it was really going to happen the way it did in March. And nobody had time to prepare. It wasn't like, okay, let's go two more weeks. Like save everything you can. Like don't eat out this week. Don't buy a coffee. Like, right. like there was nothing the unknown, the unknown. And you know, I've heard, you know, stupid pop back from people who probably clearly aren't in our industry. Like, Oh, well, don't you have a savings? And didn't you have this? And don't you have that? And it's like, this is an independent industry where a lot of us pay for all of our own healthcare and our own everything. Like nothing's right. Most of us are independent. And if we're small salon owners, like you and me, like you also have the livelihood of other people. If they they rent space from you or, you know, like, no, I don't know anybody really that had a six month runway that was set up. And also in freaking California, like get real, get real. You can have a savings account and that doesn't necessarily mean shit. You know what I mean? It's not going to cover like, your mortgage or your apartment. It's not going to cover your car payment if you have one. It's not going to cover right. your rent at the salon. Right. No. It's, no. So it's just so crazy to me. And I feel like the people who say that, like you said, they're not in the industry or they have a husband who's in tech and they're not hurting, you know, or could a partner who's be. in tech. Yeah, could be. Because I, I am set up at home. Like, luckily, like, we are in a situation like that, but I still had the livelihood of my business. Like, I could have right. just given it all up and stayed home and been like, 
okay, yeah, it's been 20 years. It was a good ride. Like, I'm going to, I got to homeschool my kid. Like, I could just, you know, stay kind of comfortable, not have to manage this anymore. Yeah, it was my dream, but whatever. I could have easily let it go, just easily. Um, but I'm not, I'm not someone who likes to quit. Like, I, I probably usually, like, hang on to things longer than I should. Um, I'm not afraid to fail. That's why I'm down to try things all the time. And totally. I do all these other things because you have to try things on to see if they're a good fit. You have to, if I want to be an educator, okay, maybe you don't go straight to a platform artist, but maybe you turn the camera around on your phone and you right. say, hey guys, today I'm doing IGTV. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but let's go. Exactly. And I think there's also, um, there's beauty in acknowledging that you don't know and that you're trying something and, you know. I think, and I don't know for me, like I've never been, I don't get embarrassed. I'm usually the one who is the embarrassing one. So I don't, I don't have any shame. And I, which is funny because I have really bad anxiety and I am like horrible in social situations. So where I say I don't get embarrassed, I guess that it's more of like, like I will shit my pants if I don't know if there's a private parking lot and I'll go somewhere an hour early to see what the parking situation is. And like, if I have to drive around so I can still be 15 minutes early and I don't want to be embarrassed by being late and like not knowing how to get in or where the room is or whatever, like that's the kind of embarrassment I experience. But when it comes to like my first time teaching in a school, I was about five years into my career, which I always wanted to be an educator but I was like, that's on my 10 year plan because that imposter syndrome of like, who the hell would want me to teach? Like, I don't know shit, you know? So when I got approached and asked to be a teacher by my mentor and, you know, the director of the school at the time, I was like, Ooh, me. Okay. I, sure. Um, okay. And the, the campus that I had trained at wasn't the campus that I was going to be teaching at. It was just our headquarters campus. So I trained there and went to the other campus that I'd never once set foot in because I had never gone there. I went, I was a student at the campus that I trained at and I had never, I had no other reason to go to the other campus. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't, I I tell you, I didn't, I didn't know anything. And I will never forget like the first night that I was alone because like the girl who I was replacing was moving or something. I didn't have keys and now all the doors locked like the office and stuff because there's student information in there. And so I needed to get tests or something like that. And I couldn't, I couldn't get in there. And so I have like a classroom full of students and they're like, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. We'll figure it out though. And you know, that kind of thing. I've always been like, I don't know. We'll learn it together. We'll figure it out. And so I think being okay with, like you said, not being afraid to fail and just like admitting when you don't know something, there's such a beauty in that because then it takes away, I think, the fear the of, of being that embarrassed. Like, I think for me, I'm like, I don't want to be embarrassed and look stupid. I think my biggest fear is like looking stupid, which to nobody else, I would look stupid. But to me, I would think that I do. And so for me, there's like a freedom in admitting that I don't know something because then there's no expectation. And so when I'm like, this is the first time I've done this, so it's going to be garbage. And then it turns out, okay, it's like, you know, 
under promise over deliver in everything in life. Yes. Yes. Everything. And not to say you can't toot your own horn, you know what I mean? At some point, but definitely that, that is the key, especially when you're starting out, like set yourself up to win, set yourself up to win. And it takes the power away. Like I see so many people for the first time speaking on stages. I go to a lot of personal development events. I have a couple of friends that run big time events, like masterminds. You got to get up and bunch of these people and speak and everyone's staring at you because you're going to give them a sentence answer. that's going to change their life and business. And they're like, you know, and I see these girls and they're shaking and you know, they've got something great to share, but they're scared shitless. Like they don't know the response that they're going to get from speaking their truth. They're talking about something they know can help somebody. So just by you showing up the way you do on social media, like, I hope it's given people permission to like try on their own to do things too. Cause I know you got like a select following that, you know, loves your style, loves what you teach. And just like, you know, you and I got a little, like, you know, a mouth that we say what we want. And it's not about like being naughty or the bad kid or the person who doesn't have a filter. It's about being able to express yourself. And I feel like authentic number one thing I love in this industry is like one day I could show up one way and the next day I could show up another way. I could look like Zoe tomorrow. I could look like a pretty little princess the next day. Like you can be and do whatever you want, but if it's not truly in alignment with you, it's not sustainable. So how have you grown your social media following and you know, what kind of tips or advice do you have for people when it comes to, to showing up there consistently to create actual growth, whether it's a following that's going to support you or getting clients from social media. Right. Um, I'm probably going to give like the worst answer you've ever received on this question because I actually hate social media mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people hate social media. That's why yeah, and, you got to keep it real. And I really, I really couldn't care less about a following. Um, and I think that's why I have authentic followers because I've never, I've never, you know, same as like admitting when I don't know something, if like, let's say, you know, you see all the people who for a long time, everybody was putting, like if they made a post and it wasn't getting a lot of attention, they put it in their stories and it's like, check out my new post. You know, I'll be the first one to be like, go pay attention to me. Nobody liked this. Instead of like, Hey guys, I have something to share for you because that's not me. And you know, I think because like you said, like I've got a mouth on me and even in the last like three days, I've had a handful of people go off on me because I'm harsh or I'm mean or what I said came off a certain way. And I'm like, look, I'm not sorry. I, I said what I said. I meant what I said. I'm not sorry for it. Like if you, you know, this is like the worst, it's a bullshit apology and like, oh, sorry, you took it that way. But if you followed me for any length of time, you know that I'm kind of an asshole and it's not directed at people, but I will say exactly what I want to say. And if you take it that way, then you might be too sensitive for my verbiage or whatever it is, because I'm never going to change that. And I'm never, um, in, I'm never harsh directly towards people in a way that's like, because I don't like them or anything like that, or to be mean intentionally. It's just, that's how I am. And I know that's kind of like a shitty thing to say is like, well, that's just how I am. You know, I'm aware that I'm not for everyone, you know, and there's that, um, I couldn't love this. I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm someone's shot of whiskey kind of vibe, you know? And as much as I don't like to, I hate to, I don't want to be the person to hurt somebody's feelings or to come across in a mean way. But I also will never jeopardize who I am 
to make somebody else happy in a way that isn't authentic for me. So I think when it comes to social media, regardless of how much you grow, you know, you just have to be authentic to yourself. And for me personally, that salon that I was at for a long time, I mean, I got into the industry when Instagram, I think Instagram came out when I was in beauty school and nobody used it for marketing. Nobody used it for what it was. And I never had a Facebook. Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't care. Like I posted my dogs on social media and that was it. And then at that salon that I was at, the owner was very against us using our phones in the salon, which meant we couldn't take pictures of our work that we had done. And we couldn't have our profiles public regardless of if it was a work profile or not. And we had to have the name of the salon in the Instagram if we wanted to make a separate Instagram and I'm not down with that I'm not like I feel like that's so culty and I feel like that's so dated and no offense to anybody who who runs their salon like that I get it you know if you want to have unity I understand that but we're in an industry where everything needs to be it's also individual like my clients come to me for me they follow me for me and how I am so I didn't have a big following because I would have to like sneak to take pictures and then post them later. Or, you know, it, it wasn't until a few years after that we were even allowed to, you know, we, that, that she got us a ring light and we had a place to take pictures. Like it took a while for, for that to be okay. And I, when I left there, it, the opportunities that were coming around and, you know, meeting more people. And again, along with being at in a, in a place that I was at, I wasn't allowed to take time off work to go to hair events. I wasn't allowed to take a lot of opportunities that I was given. And that really held me back and in terms of growth. And so when I left, I feel like my, my following and my, um, circle of just people kind of grew because I was finally allowed to go to hair events, even if it was on a Saturday, like I could choose to take a Saturday off to go to a hair event. I could go, you know, I could block off half my day to go up to LA to go to some event or whatever it was. So meeting people in person and genuinely building and educating and connecting with people was all something that kind of was slow building for me. And I am really big when it comes to social media, I'm big on like trying whatever. So for me, like, I love TikTok. Everybody makes fun of TikTok because the way they use it might not be for marketing, but to me, it's one more place to get reach. And so, you know, I'm on Pinterest. I have my website. One of my friends made me a Facebook. I never go on it, but I push all my posts to Facebook. Um, Any form of social media, you kind of have to if you want reach and you want to have a platform, you know, you just have to try it. And I sucked at TikTok at the beginning and I over edited all my stuff because it had cool features that you could do. And, you know, I did all that stupid stuff, but now, you know, my TikTok is huge and it grew so fast, like huge for me, you know, which it's fun for me because it's so different than Instagram because nobody takes TikTok seriously. So I went on TikTok and um, I looked up the hashtag, like hashtag how to cut hair, not a single post. Hashtag how to color hair, not a single post. Hashtag haircut, 
the only videos that were on there were people cutting their own hair or cutting their friend's hair. So I saw an opportunity and this was months ago. This was, I think it was November, November, December last year. So for me, I was like, I kind of see Instagram dying. Everybody's pissed off at Instagram. It's not chronological. Nobody's seeing the people they follow. Zuckerberg's running it into the ground for creators. Like it's so hard for small businesses. And so I'm like, this is going to be the next big thing. And nobody takes it seriously because nobody's using it for business yet. So there was no algorithm at the time. There wasn't any like ads. There wasn't any reason that you couldn't build quickly. And so I was looking to find, you know, where are these creators going to go? Because all of us that are on Instagram, if Instagram goes down the drain, they're going to need somewhere to go. So where's the next place going to be? It's going to be TikTok. You know, look at where the kids go. It's just like, excuse me. It's like Facebook went to MySpace or MySpace went to Facebook. Then Facebook went to Instagram. Then Instagram went to Snapchat. And then Instagram got real or stories that, you know, was taking over and look at what happens now. Like when TikTok gets big, Instagram puts reels up. And so you kind of have to always be ahead of it. And so I think you can pull a huge following from so many different places if you pay attention to it and just kind of have fun with it and try things out. And I mean, like I, I've never gotten, I think like one person has offered to send me something from Instagram or whatever, but since I've been on TikTok, I've had multiple companies reach out what to, you, oh, to collaborate, like to send me stuff or collaborate or whatever. And like, I, I think that's super cool. And it's also interesting because you see these huge companies that have giant followings on Instagram and they don't have a big following on TikTok because they're still learning how it works. And same thing with Pinterest and things like that. And so I think a lot of times people forget all the different opportunities that you have in different forms of social media. And so what you might post on Instagram is going to be different than the video you post on TikTok. That's going to be different than the post you make on Pinterest. That's going to be different. You know, each platform you have to kind of take the time to figure out what that audience likes and what works. And so I think for me, building a genuine following has kind of come from just winging it and not caring if I get followers or not caring if it does anything. I just try and hope for the best. And then I think a lot of it has to do with just meeting people, you know, face value, just being, just genuinely being authentic and showing up in all facets of that. You know, if, if you're this big person on any social media platform, but you don't give people the time of day when it comes down to it in real life, then that doesn't mean anything, you know? I couldn't agree more. I feel like, do you, do a lot of people reach out to you in the DM and like chit chat you up and ask you questions? Yeah, yeah a lot. Write them back. That's what keeps them yeah. engaged because you, you're real and you can connect mm-hmm. and make them feel like they are important. And it's like, I, that's the number one thing I hear about anybody who's grown their following like significantly is like stay up in your DMs because that's where like the true magic happens and then you can connect with people authentically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. So do you have like a rhythm to it? Do you, do you have like a schedule? I feel like you're pretty scheduled out. Do you know what you're going to show up like with, with being closed again? Do you like Mondays or this, Tuesdays or that? Or I'm going to, you just wing it. No, because I, I mean like yes and no. I try to post depends on the platform too. Um, like with Pinterest, I have the ability to schedule posts in advance. So I don't have to think about it. So, but like lately my motivation 
is all over the place. Like I, most days I wake up and I don't feel like doing shit and I don't even feel like looking at hair. I don't feel like getting on the internet. It pisses me off. I don't want to do it. I have to force myself. But then at like midnight, I'll be like, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to do this and I'll fucking do it too. And so it's like, I have absolutely zero schedule of trying to figure it out because right now I just need to do it when it comes. Like I, you know, a few weeks ago I made a post about, I was writing a blog post and I was like, fuck this. I don't care anymore. I don't want to do it. And I like posted something about like, oh, I was going to write a blog, but now I'm not. And like 20 people messaged me and they're like, wait, can you please finish it? Like, I want to see what you said. And I want to hear, like, we want to hear what you have to say. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll save this to my drafts. And, you know, I finally finished it like yesterday. And a few people were like, thank you. I'm so happy. I'm going to go read it right now. And so I don't, I try to post, I, I try to post on TikTok every day because it's easier and it's way more fun. Um, Instagram feels like a little bit more of a chore and it feels like more of a job. And right now the type of content that I have, I feel like isn't, I don't want to post just to post. So if I don't have anything that I feel like saying or showing, then I'm just not going to do it when it comes to Instagram. Um, so right now I don't really have a schedule. I mean, I, I believe in having a schedule for social media because I think it overwhelms a lot of people. Um, so I, I definitely like when I teach social media courses and things like that and like guide people on that, I definitely think that it's beneficial to have that. But for me right now, I don't, I'm friggin' flying by the seat of my pants every day. Well, I think a lot of people are, and I do, I think I asked the question, especially because that that's been the case for me. Like sometimes I have to literally force myself. I'm like, okay, you didn't post yesterday. Like you got to show up today only because it's like the same thing with like working out. Like I don't yeah. want to work out every day, but I also don't want to not be healthy and I don't want to feel good. So it's like when you can look at social media as a means to, yes, it can be fun, but it's also a free platform to market your business. You got to stay in it in the long game. It's, there's no quick, anything, anything that you see that came up quick, it wasn't quick. Like there was some behind yeah. shit they had to do, or they knew somebody who knew somebody that plugged their shit. Like, yeah, somebody else is doing it for them. Right. Who all yeah. working first, right? Like, yeah, exactly. No, I know. And that took me a couple of years to like wrap my head around, like taking that seriously as well. Um, you talked a little bit or quite a bit about being in the salon space that you didn't love. Um, I want to circle back around that because I feel like there, you might be like touching on some people's shit right now. You end up in a salon, you are there, you built your clientele, you might feel stuck. Like they have your client's information. You know, if you leave that they'll try to keep your clients. It's a big thing because you've seen it happen to other people when they've tried to leave, they're controlling your schedule. Um, all the things, what made you stay in a situation for that long? I was naive. I was new. Um, I, it was the first salon I ever worked at. And I will say, because there's people who follow me who are probably going to watch this or listen to this and they are going to, they know. Um, I, it was a great salon and it started out amazing. And I learned a lot business-wise from that salon and that I can't, you know, I'm grateful for. And I learned a lot just as who I wanted to be as a boss and as a leader and as an educator. Um, I learned a lot about myself being in that situation. And it was the first salon I ever worked at. 
it was one of the few more eco-conscious, high-end education-focused salons in the area that I was looking in. And at the time, there weren't a lot that existed that had all my things that I wanted. You know, I wanted an assistant program. I wanted regular education. I wanted a more eco-friendly environment. Um, I wanted a team environment, which is, it's hard to find sometimes. And um, it hit all the nails. And so I thought I was walking into, you know, my dream. And as things progress, you know, you learn that a lot of times it's not always what the outside looks like. And I grew really fast there because I worked really hard. And within a year of being there, I was the creative director of the salon and I was helping do a lot of the education. And, you know, this is my first salon. Like I, I, I don't kind of like you said, like I kind of hang on to things a little bit longer than I probably should because I want to see the best in things. And I want to hope I, I want things to work out. And, you know, in hindsight, I was completely gaslit. And so like looking, looking at it now, I, I should have left a long time before I ended up leaving. Um, but when you're new, you, you know, I didn't give myself enough credit. And again, hindsight, I was completely belittled and made to think I wasn't as good as I was. So I didn't feel like I was that good. And like, I could go build a clientele if I were to leave. So there was a lot of like emotional, toxic abuse going on from a management level to the entire team. So that plays a big factor in it, which um, there's, she's going to go bark at something outside. So if she starts barking, I apologize. I do all the things on here. So for me, I was there, I was building, I started double booking, I got an assistant, you know, all of the things that you want to do when you are a new hairdresser. And I was getting to do them really quickly. And, you know, so many people were treated so poorly and myself included. And I was like, you know, I, I say this, not that it's an excuse for anybody, but like, I was one of the good ones. Like I, I made my retail quota every single week. I was never late. I said yes to every client. I didn't call out sick. You know, I was, a, I was a good one. You know, there were the girls that came in hungover and called out sick all the time and would say like book fake bang trims at the end of the day that weren't real people. So they could like cancel them and leave early kind of thing. Like I never did any of that. So, but I still got shit on. And so it wasn't, it didn't get bad until, you know, towards the end. And I stayed because I didn't want to leave my clients. And I knew that, you know, the, I, I was, it was a commission salon. So the owner had full control. control over all that. We didn't have access to it. And in my mind, they wouldn't follow me because why would they, you know, I, that was just yep. in my mind, like they're not, they're, they come here for the salon. They don't, they're not here for me. And, um, the biggest thing for me was that I felt like if I left, um, the girls who really were getting the shit end of it would get it worse mm -hmm. because I had been there for a very long time and I had seen what happened after somebody left or after somebody walked out, which I came to learn they didn't really walk out. They were fired last minute because that's what happened to me and then told everybody that they walked out. Um, 
the people who actually got fired, the people who went on their lunch break and never came back, you know, those all the time. Like the stories I could go, I feel like I should write a book about it because there are so many things that, you know, when they would play out, I would see what happened to the team after. And it's like, it's like, you know, when a teenage girl breaks up with her boyfriend or a boyfriend breaks up with her, the whole family deals with it. Y'all hate it. Yeah. And that's how it was. And so it was like, if one person left, it made, you know, ripples of just terror for everybody. And so I knew that when I was one of the top three earners in the salon. So regardless of any of that, like that would cause the owner stress and she would take it out on everybody. And I knew that. And like being the mama bear and the person who like really wanted to be there for people, I didn't feel like it was okay for me to leave and leave all these really talented, amazing people to get kicked and not have somebody they could like go to, to feel like they were supported and feel, you know, like like so many girls would come to me wanting to quit at like all the time. And I, and and want to quit hair because of working at this place. And, And it was so bad. And like so many new people and assistants and front desk and interns and I just, you know, I wanted to make sure they knew that this isn't how it's supposed to be, you know? So that was a really big reason that I didn't leave for a long time. And I probably wouldn't have, and I was really unhappy. And I, I had, you know, I was like way too skinny. My hair was falling out. I had really bad acne because I was so stressed. Like I didn't realize it at the time. And, um, there were just so many things that, you know, towards the end, I think looking back at it now, I was, she like was trying to, I think, get me to quit. And then I, I didn't because of how she talked to me within the last week of my being there. I think she really expected me to walk out because of, I think that's what she wanted. And then it didn't happen because I was like, okay, well, what's going to piss you off more giving you what you want and like me quitting or me staying and you have to deal with me and wonder if I'm going to tell people what you said. So I stayed. Um, which didn't bode well for me because I walked into work the day after my four year anniversary and my stuff was in trash bags. So, um, that, you know, that was that. And it was a situation where that day, you know, my friend, one of my very good friends, who I'm still good friends with to this day, texted me and she was like, dude, she's telling people that you walked out and she's telling your clients, you're not doing hair anymore or that you're spreading your wings a different direction. And, um, I didn't think, you know, again, I was, I was one of the good ones. I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't, I wasn't a bad employee. I, you know, not that anybody ever deserves that, but like, right. You really realize quickly, like she does this kind of shit to everybody regardless. And then it like in my head, all the girls in my four years of being there who had walked out like flooded my brain. And I was like, I wonder if they really did. Like, I wonder if, cause there were some that I knew did. And then there were some that I was like, I wonder if they really walked out. Cause it was like before anybody else got there, you know, I had to, I was one of the first people at the salon and she was there and my stuff was in trash bags and that was that. And then I was gone before anybody even showed up for work. So I wonder how many other people that happened to. And within a week, I had like 80% of my clientele reaching out to me and, and like 
I always get so choked up talking about it because I have like so many, I've screenshots saved and like emails saved from clients saying like, I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're okay. Because they were telling people like Zoe's no longer with us. And that was it. They weren't telling them where it was. They weren't, they wouldn't give out my, and none of my information. So people thought I like died. But the other thing was that every single one of my clients knew like Zoe would never just not do hair anymore. And she, if she was like, everybody thought like most of my clients were like, oh, she's probably just going to like New York or LA to go like work on set or something. But then all of them were like, well, she would tell us like that, that wouldn't just happen. And so, so many people reached out and were like, you, you know, made me feel brave enough to like do X, Y, and Z with my hair. You made me feel like a more bold woman and this and that. And like so many amazing things that people said to me that I never in a million years would have expected. Like people were like, I Googled you and I spelled your name wrong, but then I found like 15 Zoe's on Twitter and I went through and messaged each one until I found you. Or like, I remembered that your dad was a college basketball coach in Oregon. So I looked up all the people and looked up articles to see like which one had two daughters and one of them named Zoe. And I emailed your dad and tried to not sound like a creep. Like, I'm not kidding you. Like the loops people through. And I was like, what? Like what in the world? And then there were so many people too that they like where I ended up was at the time was my temporary situation was further away. And you know, in North County, a lot of people don't like driving. They don't like take getting on the freeway at all so they were like hey you know I can't come down to Del Mar to see you but I don't want to support that salon anymore so can you recommend somebody else who's also in Carlsbad and like that to me was so amazing because I was told for so many years that like I wasn't worth anything you know and I wasn't um I you know I don't look like I should charge more than $17 for a haircut and I don't have respect for educators and, you know, I'll step on people to get ahead and all these things that in my heart, I knew I wanted to know wasn't true, but I thought that's how I came across because that's what was being told to me. And it like fucked me up for a long time and I didn't even realize it. And a lot of people that left that salon are every single person that has left is exceedingly successful and like thriving. So it, it's a stepping stone place for people, I think, but we all talk about it. And it's like leaving an abusive relationship where, you know, they dangle the good things and they'll be very generous. And it's so manipulative. Like, you know, she was very generous and was amazing in a lot of ways, but then would hold it over you or make you feel bad about it or guilty or all these things. And, you know, we all look back at it and it's really like leaving an abusive relationship and you don't realize until you're gone what was happening and like how much it affected you. Right. And it's, it's so crazy even still to look back on. And we all do like, all of us are still friends and all of us, it's like, we have like our own unspoken therapy group of the people that survived, you know? Wow. That's an amazing story. I I just want to like point something out from like an elder perspective, if you will, from someone else who went through not quite a gnarly of a situation, but you know, I came up in a salon that was very like, there was a culture already and the assistants were treated like shit. And we were like, you know, you were, you did, you did what you were told and 
you know, you had to earn your ranks around here. And then I went into another salon where I was like you, where I was like creative director off the bat after a year and a half in. And then um, a couple of years over, you could tell you're doing the, high, you're the highest earner in the shop. And it's like, okay, work with me here. And then when you leave and then they don't give you your information, and then they're offering 50% off to every one of your clients for the next right. three purposes, or you're booking it with your sister because her name's Jessica too. Like the undermining of, and I said the same thing, like, wait a second, I did everything right. And then some, like, I never said no to anything, like such a similar story, but can you see now after you just shared that story? I don't know if you've ever talked about the same kind of things. When you started this conversation with us, you were sharing all the things that you do. Then you just explained to us your foundation in the business and all of the ways that you were treated. To me, it's no wonder you do all the shit you do now. Because there's still that little girl in there that's like, look, motherfuckers, I'm going to do the damn thing. And I'm going to do all of it. And I'm going to do all of it fucking good. You see me now? Do you see me now? Like, and I love that. We all get our drive from somewhere. And sometimes we don't see where it came from. Like, it sounds like an amazing place to, like, have your foundations, like, built up. Like, whatever you did, good stuff that came out of that, even the bad stuff shapes us into who we are later on down the road. So if you guys are listening and you don't have a similar story to that, I'm happy for you. But for those of us that have had similar stories like that, um, it's not, it's like a shush shush thing. Like we're not meant to talk about it. You don't want to talk bad on someone because there was good things that came out of it. She did give you an opportunity. She was generous at times. She did create a place for you guys to grow and thrive. And you walked away with a clientele that wanted to follow you. Yes, that was you, but that also had something to do with the way she taught. I mean, sometimes it's unfortunate when people like forget what it was like to be us when we were younger. She started right. somewhere too. And I don't even know who we're talking about, but you know, my experience in what I was had experienced personally and then what I saw happen to other people, you know, over my last 20 years, like that is the shitty part. And I do know that that's just not like our industry. That's with any industry that's right. like ours where we like grow people underneath us. But anybody who's good at what they do, they're gonna grow out of whatever like container they were built in and they're gonna wanna spread their wings, they're gonna wanna do their thing. And that's always like my mission that I've, I've tried, like, cause I, now I'm a salon owner and I'm like, okay, remember where you started. It's in my bathroom. It's like, it's like a quote that I live by. Like never forget what it's like 10 steps down, always be reaching back and bringing people with you. And like, that's what like so great about you. Like when you are open and you share your stories and you talk about stuff. And that's part of what this podcast is so important to me is to like, get these kind of stories out there as much as like, it's not always like pretty to talk about that kind of stuff. Like you came from somewhere and it pushed you to be the great person, take charge, get shit done person that you are now. Right. And I think, you know, for anybody listening to this, that, and it's funny because even so now in the last year, I've had women reach out to me who work at that salon, who have heard horror stories about me and choose to follow me on social media because they're like, wait a minute, I want to know this girl. And reach out to me for help on how to leave and oh, what to do and how, how I went about it and what happened. And, and it's not changed. The environment there hasn't changed. And for anybody that's listening that is in a shitty situation, it is not worth it. I stayed because I thought, you know, I can't make money anywhere else. I have a clientele here. Like, get rid of that because you're being gaslit. If they're telling you you're not good enough, if this is the best salon, this and that, whatever, if you have a good leader, they should want you to grow. And looking back at it, 
I believe that the reason things went down how they were was because I was getting a lot of opportunities from outside sources to collaborate, to do events, to do these things. And I think my boss saw me outgrowing the salon and instead of embracing it and encouraging it and being like, yeah, this is my creative director. Like, look at how amazing she's doing. This is going to put our salon, you know, whatever she saw it as a threat and tore me down instead and, and bashed me about the things that she was doing to me. And I believed it. And it took me a long time to like get out of that. And I hear so many people have such similar stories, especially when they're assisting of just being treated so poorly and thinking that that's just the way it is. And that's how, you know, we earn our stripes. And I hate that because it's not, and you can have somebody be very strict and you can have somebody, you know, be hard on you because I'm all for tough love. You know, like I think a lot of times now everybody's way too sensitive. Everybody's offended by everything. And I don't agree with a lot of, you know, tiptoeing to get the point across because it doesn't help anybody, but there's, there's a boundary when it comes to understanding that somebody is hard on you because they want to see you do well and they know you have it in you. And, you know, I have a student and I'll totally call her out. She probably listened to this. Her name's Allie. And she's, she's since graduated and everything, but I made this girl cry multiple times a week. Like, and she cries about everything. So it's not like me making her cry, but we would get into it often. Like I wanted to strangle her and she wanted to strangle me, but she all we always would end it like she'd be crying or yelling at me and she'd be like with a client and I'm like I'm not I'm not gonna like step around because your feelings are hurt you did something wrong this is why and this is what you needed to correct it because that's a real human not a doll head and this is what you have to do and so you know she'd cry get mad at me want to drop out hate me whatever but then at the end it was always like all right you were right thanks for your help did you see why and she'd be like yeah I still hate you but like thanks or she would do so well and you know she would never want to admit that I was right or that I pushed her to do something and so many people I feel like need that but but at the end of every single time that we would get into an argument or something would happen I made sure she knew where it was coming from And I always explained myself and I always made sure that she understood that just because I'm not like a hugging lovey-dovey, I think you're really good, but like she always understood that I was pushing her because I knew she could do it and I knew that she wasn't giving herself enough credit and I made sure that we were good at the end of it. And so there's definitely, I think, a way to go about things with people to where you can push them and give them that tough love and teach them and guide them in the right way, but also make sure they know that it's coming from a good place. And for me, I'm never, I'm, I'm a harsh person, I think, in how I verbalize things. And I, um, because I was raised in an industry setting that did a lot of damage I want to always make sure that I'm not like that. And so even though I might be harsh and I might be a very stern, like tough love kind of hair dad, I always, because to me, I would, I would rather 
I would rather that have happened to me when I was in school with my teacher that I trust and I love and I'm going to see every day than by my first employer. And then I'm jaded by hair for the rest of my life. Mm. And so I think for me being tough on a lot of my students is because I would rather it come from me than here in a year that they're not doing hair anymore because they had some asshole boss who was on a power trip and was mean to them and degraded them and belittled them until they didn't want to do hair anymore. And so when tough love comes from somebody that you trust and that you know, and you know their intent, when you get out of that, you're less likely to make those same mistakes again, but also you can tell when it's coming from a good place. So I think there's kind of like two sides to me being the way I am in the sense of like, I would rather be mean to you than have somebody who you don't know and don't trust be actually mean to you. You know what I mean? That's just how everyone gets treated when they step. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's, I, examples are popping in my head of people I've worked with through my coaching program that don't no longer do hair because of their experience. Like they worked at the same salon as me, but were assistants to somebody else. And why is it that my assistants are now thriving booth renters just a few years later, still in the game. And these couple have fallen off. They don't even do hair anymore. And I'm like, you know, when we got to talking, because when I started the coaching program, I was like, let me do a little R&D and see, like, what makes someone go this way and what makes someone go that way? Was it that you discovered you didn't love hair anymore? Because these were a couple of people who were really talented. And so it was surprising to me that they didn't pursue it. And they both moved into jobs that weren't the level that they should have been in. Like, they were just beat down so much that they didn't have it in them anymore to fight. They just wanted to go get a regular job and just be average and you know I, the radar. right because they couldn't they couldn't deal with that anymore and you know my heart goes out to them and they still both of them don't do hair one is now a teacher at the school she teaches makeup and she's found her place and she loves it um but that experience just like set the tone that taste in their mouth of like fuck this isn't for me and this isn't for everybody this industry is tough like if you want to make it like you got to have some grit you got to be saying like you said yes to everything in the beginning you got to be able to, you got to be able to take your licks in the beginning too. Like if you walk into a big name salon and you're surrounded by a lot of, you know, high end people, or, you know, top earners who have put the, put the licks in, like you said, it's not that you need to be treated. There should be a system to how they onboard new people. That was always an issue I had was we would turn around and there'd just be new people. And we just think we didn't know who they were or what they were doing. I, I got to a point after a few years, I was like, I don't even tell me your name until you're here for like six weeks. I, I mean, there's people that come back that I, I used to work with at my old place, and they were like, yeah, I, I assisted when I when you were there, and I'm like, I don't remember you, like, but it's I, crazy, and just like you said, too, it just, every time I think about my, first, my working interview at my salon, and this is, like, the kind of manipulative bullshit that just, like, pisses me off, and I know that this isn't the only salon that does it, but, like, okay, so my first freaking time in the salon, right, like, I don't know how they do things, I, everybody says different things, like, schools have different verbiage for different things. And like, so I get there and, you know, it's my working interview. So I'm like, I'm going to sweep the shit out of this hair. I'm going to freaking fold the shit out of these towels. And they, the owner's like, all right, um, you can fold the foils. And I was like, okay. And so when I was in school, we were taught to fold a tiny little fold at the top of the foil so you would understand where not to paint past. And so realistically, like nobody does that in the salon. Like, and we're talking like teeny, teeny, tiny, like little skinny foils. And, you know, people always 
fold over the tail comb or whatever, or they just place the foil, whatever it is. So, you know, in school, we take out one foil, tear it in half, make the little tiny fold, make the second little fold. So I'm sitting there doing that. I'm like, I'm going to fold this whole fucking box of foils. I'm going to be the best foil folder. And someone comes by, they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm folding foils. Like, I'm Zoe, by the way. Nice to meet you. Um, It's my working interview. I'm folding foils. I was given no direction on how to fold this box of foils. And so I'm like, I'm just doing what I know. I'm not going to ask because I don't look stupid. Meanwhile, I'm looking stupid anyways, because all she wanted me to do was tear the foils in half because nobody there folds their foils, which I didn't know, but I was expected to, it was a test. Like it was a full on test. And so there was one girl and I'm still friends with her to this day and like, bless her heart. She was like, Oh my God, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. Like, she just told me to fold these and this is what I know how to do. Like, help me. And like, I was like, what do I do? Like, I was about to cry. And she was like, here, let me show you a trick. Like, don't pull it out one at a time. Take the whole thing, fold it, do the flip, whatever. Put it at the edge of the thing, rip it. These go in this drawer, this goes in this drawer. And I was like, okay, is there anything else I should know? And she's like, yeah, that girl likes her foils folded like the long way. So like tear it in half the long way. She has a separate drawer, put those there. And I was like, all right, we're good. And I'm like, not a single person. There were like 20 other people that walked by me, watching me do this, watching me do it wrong. That didn't say a word to me. And of course the owner's watching this all happen because it, who knows, that was probably part of it. But this girl was like, I'm going to help her because I want her to succeed. And she ended up being the one to train me. And I looked up to her so much because I was like, this girl, she was the first person to help me. And looked out for you, you know, it's such a manipulative thing, like you said, of not having a system, of not, like, understanding, and, like, some salons do have an initiation to, like, new assistants in the salon, but I think there's so much weird competitive energy, and I think it's, like, a female thing, first of all, but it's also just, like, it could be just the nature of being in a salon, and in that stereotypical kind of way where it's, like, not team-oriented in a lot of a lot of salons and so a lot of people kind of just fend for themselves or they're in the mentality of like I had to learn on my own so you have to learn on your own and wow. nobody helps yeah. each other level up and I'm like there is room for all of us there are so many people on this earth who need their hair done they I hope my students are better than me I always tell them I'm like you I better be working for you one day because if I'm still better than you by the time you're old and gray then I did something wrong mm-hmm. I always want people I teach to be better than me. And, you know, if you are the best person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I always think that like, you need to be able to grow and encourage others to grow. And that's what helps this industry just thrive is sharing that information with everybody, you know? And you do that beautifully by all the ways that you show up on social media. I feel like we could talk for like hours, you and I, I do want to say one thing in regards to your experience, because I'm having like a little moment right now because of how much I love the last salon that I was at. And though a lot of those things happened, I don't think a lot of them were intentional. I don't know. Like, I don't know where you came from. I, I would, I would almost beg to say it wasn't a test. Like looking in hindsight of all the things I've seen happen and all of the, all of the things, I don't want to dim like your story. Cause that's what it is. Yeah. That was your experience. And that has probably been a lot of people's experience to come through big salons. You're just overlooked. And if there is not an onboarding system in place and there isn't someone assigned to that person to make sure that they feel confident, they feel comfortable. They know what the fuck's going on. 
they end up feeling like you do. And it only takes one, two, three, five more touch points of experiences like that for you to hate fucking doing hair, thought you were in the wrong industry, or just wasted all this money in school. It could leave such a bad taste in your mouth. So for any salon owners, we're not saying anybody does this, but if this is something that's been an issue in your space, like that's what you need to like step in and recognize you stepped up to the plate to lead and, and own a salon. And these little minds are coming in there needing that extra nurturing. So like as a leader, if it's not you as the owner, like you need to hire someone to be that onboarding person to hold that space for them. Um, and that is something like, that's why I love hearing stories like this because I am so far in the end. Like I forget moments like that. I'll, I'll never forget. Like I showed up for work one day. I got my nails painted black because I was doing so many shampoos. They were already fucking black. I had on red lipstick and I think I dyed my hair red. I was like, that's it. I'm doing it. I walked in and they were like, uh, she was like, the manager was like, I don't like your nails. That lipstick's hideous. And we hired you to be the normal one. So you need to dye your hair back brown. And I was like, the fuck? Like, I thought I got to be whoever I want. Everyone else here looks like a fucking freak. Like I was just trying to fit in actually. Um, So like the experiences you can have from somebody saying one thing, the power of words is crazy. So again, like Zoe and I are not for everybody. If this, if this hit, you're not still listening, we don't, no harm, no foul. But I think a lot of us can find ourselves in these stories and remember just at the end of the day to have compassion and have some empathy and remember where you started and what it's like to treat people with, you know, that respect, even if you don't know them, like you never know someone's story. You never know where they came from. They never know what it took for them to get there. You know, so thank you for showing up in such a big way that you do. We got to do a part two of this because I feel like we could keep yeah. talking about all things. We didn't even get I know to- it's, I know it's so crazy. And once you get to talking and then it's like, oh my gosh, it's been an hour already. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, we definitely got to do part two. I would love to do that. Thank you so much for your time. And where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media? I'm my handle on pretty much everything is Zoe Rose and my okay. name is Z-O-I-E. Um, pretty much everything. It's Zoe Rose. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, YouTube. I have, it's, if you go on my website or my, my bio on my Instagram, it's pretty much all there. Wherever I am, it's there. So what we call yeah. that in the marketing business world is being omnipresent. Like if you Google this name, you're going to get 10 different ways that you can talk to Zoe, be a part of Zoe's life, share what she's doing, get to know her. And yeah. anybody's looking to be an influencer or step up big in the education, this is the way to do it. Even though she's saying she doesn't have a system, I still think there's a little bit of a method to her madness. Um, you don't get where you are without having some sort of like thoughtful presence. And, you know, even you saying I'm committing to show up every single day on TikTok, like that's still your consistent, but to right. you have it, you create it. It's just how you show up. And yeah. I think it's when you stop overthinking things and just show the fuck up. Totally. Whoever Cause you- it's my job. You know, at the end of the day, it's my job, whether like, yes, my job is to do hair, but I'm also a business owner. I am my own brand. Nobody else is going to do that for me. So I, it's my job to show up regardless, whether it's behind a screen or in person. So it's just part of it. I love it. Do you have any last words for our peeps? You know, this is mainly for beauty professionals, but hairstylists are kind of my jam. So, um, I mean, any, any California hairdressers at the time we're filming this right now, we are, you know, we are still not working. So I just want you guys to hang in there and keep fighting for us to be able to work again. I know that it feels really hopeless right now, but we are an industry that can bounce back and we will, and it will be better hopefully soon. So any California hairdressers just hang in there and thank you for having me. I had so much fun doing this.